Uh, good morning again, guys. All right, so um, we took this slight detour from our, our sermon series uh, to talk about moms last week for, for Mother's Day. So if you're keeping score on how we're going about this, this lesson, uh, this sermon series, you got to know that our six-part series is now seven seven parts, seven weeks long, and, and here in week four, we're doing our third lesson, but obviously on the fourth subject. Um, so next week in our original five spot, we're going to be doing week three, right? Everybody's got it. Repeat that now. No, so, so let's just recap it because that is a little bit confusing. We're talking about these six antitheses, right, uh, that come from Matthew 5, um, where where Jesus says that you've heard that the law says these things right here, but then Jesus say, says, but I want you to understand this concept here. And he's, he's making these six clarifications or these six contrasts to what people understood about the law. Now, remember, he's not saying that the law is wrong. He's not saying that the law is, is bad, but he's explaining that the way that the Pharisees were, were in, interpreting it and teaching other people just isn't, isn't accurate. And this is an incredibly important topic today still because um, we still have people taking biblical points and misrepresenting them, right? With politics even, right? Now, before you go nodding your head and thinking that I'm talking about people on the opposite side of the political aisle than you, understand that I'm not. I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me, right? This is, this is something that, that we do. Um, this has been... Uh, a, a problem for, for a long, long time that people do this. Just yesterday, I ran across these talking points about the need for progressive Christianity. The first one said, the church's historic position on sexuality is archaic and needs to be updated within a modern framework. The second one said, the idea of a literal hell is offensive to non-Christians and needs to be reinterpreted. And the third one said, it's not our job to talk to anyone about sin. It's our job to just love them. See, since day one, guys, um, it seems that, that mankind has been reinterpreting what God tells us and manipulating the gospel around their emotion-driven, sinful perspective. Now, progressive Christianity has been around for thousands of years, and it's just as prevalent now as it was back then. And so that's why in this series... We're listening to the author re-re-explain what he had said. And so that's why this message today, keeping your word, is, I think, is going to be pretty poignant in our life. It's going to, I think it's going to connect with us. Um, so our verse that we're kind of basing this off of is this passage out of Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37, that says, you have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Now, this isn't anything new, right? We see this thousands of years before in the book of Numbers. Now, I don't have this, this verse on the screen, but it says in Numbers 30, verses 1 and 2, it said, Then Moses summoned the leaders of the tribes of Israel and told them, 
This is what the Lord has commanded. A man who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. See, it's straightforward truth. That's the ticket, right? The fact is, guys, when someone breaks a promises, when, it, when someone breaks a promise, the consequences can be devastating. That's why Jesus um, wants us to simply tell the truth. So I want you guys to think about this. When's the last time or the first time that someone broke a promise to you and how did that make you feel? Now, when I was about seven, <clears throat> my five-year-old little brother was being a, a pain in the neck. Um, he was intentionally pestering me and taunting me because he knew that my mom was upstairs and uh, she's listening to us and, and, and he knew that if I hit him, um, I'd be in, in terrible trouble. So after I exercised saint-like restraint and my mom had, had listened to enough of the, the bickering and, and him doing this to me, um, she yelled downstairs and said, Jason, if you keep it up, I'm going to let Mike punch you in the face one time without any punishment or any repercussions or whatever. Now, in my, at the time, seven-year-old brain, this was as good as a sworn oath, right? We, had, we, were, in a, we were in a contract, my mom and I. And for years, I fully, I fully planned out the cashing of this, of this IOU, carefully and tactically. So about six year, years later, Jason had done something to tick me off, and I marched up to my mom, serious as can be, and I attempted to cash in that chip. And I had done a, a little, you know, growing over the summer, right? And, uh, and so this, this loan had, had gained some, some interest here. Um, and I reminded my mom about this bargain that she had struck years earlier, but Ma London had the audacity to squelch that contract. And I legitimately felt like she had wronged me, right? Even more than my little brother had wronged me. It was, it was her uh, breaking what I thought was a promise that really bothered me. So I'm gonna, next time I see him, when we're on vacation, I'm, I'm going to cash that in. Now, um, so now that we got, I got you thinking about this, um, let's go back to this passage here and, and figure out what's going on, right? What's going on here? The first thing that you need to know here, our first point is the Pharisees made a game out of vows, creating a loophole that undermined God's original intent. So back in, in, that, in that age, the Jewish faithful had uh, what's known as the Mishnah. It's a, it's a collection of, of oral histories, um, the explanations of Hebrew life that would be passed down, um, you know, generationally, right? A series of, of orders or, or, or the order to life kind of thing that explained how to be a, a God-fearing Jew. But because these were, were written and shared from man to man without divine inspiration, they were subject to being, um, you know, to change, to, to, to being kind of screwed up and, and um, like a, a semi-ancient game of telephone, right? When somebody whispers something in your ear and then you think you heard it and you try to pass that on to the next person, by the end of the, by the, end of the line, it's completely different. And that's what was, what was going on here. Um, one example from the Mishnah was this. It said, if a man said, I swear that I will not eat this loaf, I swear that I will not eat it. I swear I will not eat it. And then he ate it, he, he is liable for only one count, 
right? See, they made themselves a loophole to, to only be punishable for breaking one vow, not three. <clears throat> so going back to this passage in, in Matthew here in chapter five, we see that we see Jesus is, he's explaining the, the ignorance here, the folly with, with vow making. So this excerpt from what we already read in 34 through 36 says, do not say by heaven because heaven is God's throne and do not say by earth because the earth is his footstool and do not say by Jerusalem for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head for you can't turn one hair white or black. But then in chapter 23, Jesus jumps um, on these, he jumps right on these examples of, of the loopholes in verses 16 through 19 and 23. He says, sorry, I didn't have that other one up. He says, for you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. Blind fools. And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind. See, Jesus is identifying their examples of the loopholes that they've carved out for themselves. Now, these Pharisees, they're, they're, they're basically, um, they basically taught that your words don't have value unless you make a certain Oath, like that, like there's these magic phrases or magic words or or chants or whatever, right? That that would have to be say, said to legitimize them, or they would make these these loopholes to delegitimize them if they were trying not to be held accountable. Now, modern day, like you know, I guess depending on if you're a grown up or a kid or something, you might say, uh, I, "I was crossing my fingers," right? That's a loophole to get to get past telling a lie, or or how about it's just a little white lie? See, we tell ourselves these things sometimes to make it okay to be a little dishonest because it's not that big a deal or whatever, right? Now, in some cultures, people ha may, would make what's called a minced oath, right? Where they would intentionally mispronounce or misspell uh, a word to alleviate themselves of the repercussions of saying the profane or the blasphemous or the, or the taboo word, right? This is where we get saying gosh instead of God or geez instead of Jesus or, you know, good golly, Miss Molly instead of whatever we, that, I don't know what that one's replacing, but, but, um, but that's, it, they're, they're making it so that they could say, I swear to gosh, and they're somehow not on the hook for that, right? So over time, uh, over this time from when, when Moses first wrote the, the first few uh, books of, of the Old Testament until Jesus clarifies these points, these Pharisees have twisted themselves like, like, like pretzels to find ways of doing things their way. The way they, that they chose to decipher the law. But here in Matthew 5, we're seeing a better clarification on how to do things uh, the Jesus way from the man himself right? From God himself. He's helping them see the original intent. So what is God's original intent with this passage? Is he saying that, that oaths are bad? Well, here's the point. And this is, our, this is our, our second point here, which is Jesus is not forbidding oaths. He's telling us not to play games with the truth. Now, this seems pretty obvious, right? The idea of, of you know, promoting honesty, it seems, it seems pretty obvious. Like I can, I can get behind that. 
Well, let me ask you a couple of hypothetical questions, and let's see. You don't have to answer these, but I want you to think about this. What if I lie to my wife about where we're going in order to get her to a place where a surprise birthday party has been organized? Is that sinful? Have I been dishonest? How about this one? A police officer helps a young girl out of her family's demolished car to get medical attention for her injuries. When she asked if her parents were okay, the officer says they were just fine, though he knew that they had been killed. Is that sinful? That's our loophole, right? When I'm negotiating for a car with a salesman, he asks me what the maximum I'm prepared to pay is. And I say 15,000 bucks, but I know that it's actually 20,000 bucks. Is that sinful? How about this one? What if your wife says, do these pants make my butt look big? (laughs) Look guys, we make loopholes, right? We, we do this, we, we carve out loopholes to be dishonest because we say, I want to be compassionate to her or I want to be compassionate to this little girl who's, who's had a horrible, painful situation, right? So, so here we are, we are making loopholes for, for untruth in our life. Now, I ask these hypothetically because I don't know if there's any room in those situations for untruth, but we can easily see how we can play games with the truth when we add these emotional-driven qualifiers, right? It is because we wanna, we wanna be compassionate to somebody who's struggling with body image or who's just had a, a loss like that or because I wanna keep a surprise party a surprise. But we have these qualifiers and, and we, we sometimes justify this. Ultimately though, guys, God is honest and we are under his authority to, to be the same. Proverbs 10 Nine says, people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. Now, there's an intentionality here, right, with this whole concept um, of being truthful, of making it purposeful in, in our life and habitual in our life, making honesty who we are. Now, James 5.12 says, but most of all my brothers and sisters never take an oath by heaven or, or, or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Now I realize that it just said not to take an oath, but let's not get confused here. There's more to it than that. Vows are not unbiblical. You can look this up for yourself. In fact, let me just show you a couple of uh, places um, to prove this point, but Paul swore to God. He swore oaths to God in 2 Corinthians uh, 1 and in Galatians 1. And Jesus didn't object to it in Matthew 26 when the disciples swore an oath not to desert Jesus on their walk to Gethsemane, right before he was crucified. And in in Genesis 22, an angel tells Abraham that God swore by his own name. And in Psalm 110, David talks about the Lord swearing by his own name. Guys, it's not about taking vows or, or not taking vows. It certainly isn't about how you say them or which words you use, okay? Jesus is saying to be like God, tell the truth, In Numbers 23 here, verse 19, 
It says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Let's stop here for a second. Can, can any of you, can you say that about anyone in your life that, that, that looks like that, that has, has ever made a promise and not carried it through? See, all this nonsense here about who you're swearing to or what you're swearing by or what, what words you, you use to do it or what phrases you use, guys, all of this, all of this is under the headship or the authority of God, okay? Um, so quit playing games with this idea of telling the truth. Everything that we say, everything that we say is under the authority of the ultimate oath keeper, which is God. Just tell the truth, when we don't do that, there are consequences. And in telling this to the Pharisees, he's calling out the teachers of the law for their mishandling of the scriptures that they claim that they are defending. And speaking of consequences, whoops, here's our, our final point here, number three. When our words can't be trusted, it's hard to point people to a God who can be. See, when we play the same game that the Pharisees played, playing, you know, playing uh, uh, hard and fast with the truth, diluting it to, fill, uh, to, to, to fit our, our perception of the world, eventually people, they're, they're going to see that we're dishonest or they're going to realize that we too are mishandling the scripture that we claim to defend, that we claim to, to believe in. And why would anybody want to believe the promises of, of a God if his own people aren't truth tellers. When we fail to keep our word, we, we undermine the effectiveness of pointing our friends, our lost friends and, and family to a God that always keeps his word. Um, in Hebrews 6, 17 through 19, it said, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. <clears throat> but we live in a culture that's given us the full court press all day, every day, telling us that the Bible or the principles of the Bible are outdated, that culture has evolved, and so should what God says. But in this, in this passage here, we see that God is permanently perfect and forever honest. That is simply his nature. And as it says here in that, in that verse, it is impossible for him to lie. Guys, this is really, this is really important. This is paramount to our friends and family uh, out there who, who have this belief that God's word needs updating or that the shifting morality 
of a sinful fallen world demands that a fair God would also change to match that. That is simply a mischaracterization of who God is. And that's why I say um, that when we, when we undermine the effectiveness of our testimony about him, we're doing our, our unsaved friends a terrible disservice. See, when they see that we honor our, our word because we want to honor God, people get curious to know about God. And when they learn about God's faithfulness, they learn that he is a just God. And when they learn that there is a, a penalty for their sins, a terrible penalty, but they also learn that he's a loving God, so loving that he would send his only son to be murdered on the cross for our sins. If only we would confess that sin and believe. So as we close here today, I want you just to kind of think about this today and, and, and this week. Think about your life. You know, really be honest with yourself and, and think about, you know, have you made the habit of finding these loopholes, of, of creating these, these loopholes to allow untruth to be part of your day to day? And do you realize that, that those untruths are just sin? There's nothing else that we need to call them. They're not little white lies. They're sin, plain and simple, right? We get that. It is just sin. And that sin, it separates us from, from God. So, so let's get rid of that in our life. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And let's all try to live our, 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 our lives more and more every day the Jesus way. All right, will you guys pray with me? Lord God, um, I, uh, I, I do feel convicted in my heart here. And, and it's, it is kind of surprising sometimes to consider yourself an honest person and then to know uh, where um, this, this concept of little white lies or, or these simple un these little untruths can try and sneak into your life and, and seem like they're okay. And we might try to justify those. And so, Lord, I, I just ask that for all of us, um, as we think about this today and, uh, and this week, as we have conversations, hopefully, with our family and our, our friends, I hope that we would be convicted about this, about this, this place in our heart where, uh, in our lives, where we've allowed these, uh, this, this concept of, of untruth to take a foothold because Lord, we know that it, it affects the way that people um, see us. It, it affects our relationships with other people, but even worse, Lord, it affects uh, the witness and the testimony that we give about you. And we don't want to do that, Lord. We want to make sure that we live lives um, that are, that are pointing towards you, that people see us making those right decisions when it's tough um, that they see that, that we honor our word because we strive, we live every moment of our lives trying to honor you. And we want people to, to know why we do that and to seek that out, to know you better, to have that re same relationship with you. So Lord, just bring that conviction to us. Help us to have people in our lives that we can have these, these honest conversations with so that we can start working that out and, and getting rid of that untruth in our life so you would be glorified. Lord, we love you so much. And we're thankful for this opportunity to come together and, and, and learn about you and now to lift your, your name in worship. So we say this in Jesus' name, amen.